and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Hi, Louise Karch. I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats episode. Thank you so much for doing it. I am thrilled to be here with you and your fabulous audience. (laughs) Well, let's start off with what it is that you do. So why don't you tell everyone what you do and um, I guess a little bit about why you're doing it, but tell us all about you and your business now. You bet. So I help make women like you and serial entrepreneurs get the attention they deserve So I make sure they've got a sticky name, a sticky tagline and story. I am a name whisperer and the author of Word Glue, Find Your Million Dollar Brand Name. And in the information, well, we're suffering from infobesity with too much information. I have to make sure that you and yours break out instead of blending in. Perfect. I love it. Okay. So why did you set it up in the first place? What got you into naming? What got me into naming? I mean, I've been naming things since I was three and I used to name characters. And my mother used to write down these stories with these crazy names and right. I loved words. Um, but when I came to Australia, so I'm now an Australian citizen. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I feel lucky. Uh, My business didn't exist in Australia. Uh, It was an outplacement service. People get packages in a different way when they're let go in Canada. And you in Australia, it's like, what can I do? And I thought branding, but there's a ton of people doing branding, doing great work. Australia has wonderful branders. And so I wanted to be, as Zig Ziglar says, a meaningful specificity instead of a wandering generality. And so because I'd helped name companies and doubled or tripled their income, I went, okay, let's let's dive into naming and make that my thing here. And now was there, though, was there a, a moment or something that happened that just made you go, right, that's it, I'm doing it, I'm going to get into it now? Well, I... You know, I was really, um, any expat will tell you that when they, when they first land in a country, you're like, okay, you speak English, but I can't understand you. I <laughs> know, uh, I did it for five years in London and I thought, oh my God, I'm so outgoing, I'm going to meet people straight away and it took me a year. Yeah, it does, like, it really, does take you a year, hard. for sure. And I think what happened is when I realized after I named a Canadian company from the TDG group to, and I can tell you a story, I gave them a a new name and I increased his revenue by 130% in 18 months. And that's when I went, whoa, this naming thing is really powerful. And so, so hang on a minute though. Yeah. Hang on a minute though. How did you get into naming them when you were in Canada or the well, Canadian so I, did, I named them when I was in Canada. Then I came to Australia. And then, so when I was looking around here for what can I do, and I realized there, because there are namers, there's namers in the US who charge, you know, up to $100,000 or more to name things. There wasn't a yep. namer in Australia. And I thought, okay, there is a gap in the marketplace yep. that I can fill. And I can, I can aim to be the number one name whisperer in Australia. It's a relatively small company. I think I can do it. I think you did it too. I only, I do know one other namer that I worked with many years ago, uh, but I don't think she's doing it anymore. And it's so, and I think up until that moment, I don't think I had realized how important coming up with a name is. So let's go right the way back and then we'll come back to naming again. But I, well, and I'm not in any way implying that that's miles ago, but (laughs) let's say when you were in high school, did you think when I grow up, I want to live in Australia and be a naming expert? So how in heaven's name? 
<laughs> What's happened since high school? Tell well, me I about actually, your career. I, I was talking to my mom, who, because uh, I'm bilingual, I speak English and CEO. My mother was a founding entrepreneur at a time when women didn't do things like that. So right. I, you're more likely to become an entrepreneur if you've had an association <laughs> with an entrepreneur when you're young. So I started right. my first business when I was five. My mother told me this morning, I made peanut right. brittle and I sold it to my friends. And um, my, I didn't tell my parents what I was doing, um, but I just kept wanting to make peanut brittle. And so they finally said to me, like, what are you doing? And when I told them what I was doing and what I was charging, my mother, who is brilliant, sat me down to talk about pricing. And she said, right. uh, you need to charge more. And because you're not going to get what you need, you need to stop selling um peanut brittle. So I, I've been like interested in this whole sales entrepreneurship thing for a long time. Now I had yeah. no idea in, we have these uh, butterflies in Canada, monarch butterflies. You have them here too, but they're different. Oh yeah, I know. I've heard of them. Yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah. So they travel from Canada all the way to Mexico. So they travel through three countries and they never go in a straight line. Well, my career hasn't been a straight line either, but my love of think- words, <laughs> my love of words has always been with me. Constant, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, I mean, this is the whole reason why I ask people about their careers because I think younger women think you decide when I grow up, I want to be this, and you draw a straight line, and that's how it's going to happen. And it just never happens like that. No. So, what did you do when you left school? Uh, when I left university. Okay, so you did uni after school. Yes. What did you study at uni? So I studied sociology and psychology and a bit of business. And, oh, handy. Um, yeah. And, um, but you know what? I tell you what I love. So uh, entrepreneur, I should tell you the word entrepreneur comes from the French entreprendre. And it actually yeah. used to mean a theater producer. So it's somebody who makes things happen. And I like, Jules, you are like the queen of making things happen. And I love <laughs> making things happen too. Now, when I was university, I was on students council. I was a figure skater. Like I was just always doing, I was doing, you know. Hang on, hang on. What's this figure skating? What? Tell me a little oh, bit yeah, about right. that. Okay. So um, I, I love skating. Um, Canadians are born, like you could, Australians are born as swimmers practically, right? Yeah, you guys and you're born swim. as skaters, are you? Yeah, yeah. And, and you play tennis. <laughs> right. Like you do those, those sunshine sports. Well, we do winter sports. And so I was a figure skater. I actually competed for Canada at the master's level, not at the Olympic wow. level. Um, and, and bunch, how, old, how old were you when you were, when you were competing at sort of master level? Well, that's what you do in your thirties and forties. So, oh, wow. so you 20s. did it all the way through. Yeah. I skated, I skated for, I skated for almost 15 years. Just a little, no, 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 a while anyway. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize. I thought it was maybe something you did sort of through, you know, secondary school or something. No, I didn't realize that you kept going. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And my first trip to Australia was to compete. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, come on. You've got to tell me all of this. So <laughs> you finished school, you're skating, I'm guessing on the side. Yeah. Or did just, you decide, was well, there any thought of becoming a professional? No, no, no. Cause I didn't have okay. the right body shape and it, I just did it more for fun and pleasure. But I, I will back up to one thing that happened in university. I was the acting sure. manager of a student residence and in the United States, you have residences associated with the schools. And so on that night, I was the acting manager for 1,243 student residents. And one of the staff was attacked on campus and so I was the manager I called the on-campus police she gets interrogated as this woman who'd been attacked and I was like whoa that's like not okay so when, when you think of an entrepreneur sometimes we're launching businesses but sometimes we're launching 
change initiatives. And when I, so what I did, I mean, I was young, right? I, my, my breasts were only like not even seven years old. So I'm young. <laughs> and yeah. I just organized all the different people that would care about this on the campus. And, you know, the president, the police, the student services, the health services, the student leaders. And we created, you know, the first, well, we created a lot of things, but he did a safety audit at, that whole experience in terms of understanding what can happen in women's lives in terms of violence from an intimate partner or a stranger changed the course of my career. I actually did another certificate in women's studies at that university. Right, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, at Concordia, the Simone de Beauvoir Institute, because I thought, okay, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be That's a social it. maverick and change maker in that regard. Um, so, you know, I sort of wandered a little over that way and learned tons of skills. You know, I, we launched the first um uh, yes means yes and no means safe campaign, a safe sex campaign on the campus that I ended up working at in, in probably the world, but definitely North America. Yeah, wow. And so I was using taglines, right? I was developing taglines early you on. Were. <laughs> so that look, that's a big divergent, but you know, I ended up doing lots of work in the community and but I, you know, I, I just love projects. I just love, you know, give me an interesting project and let's see what change we can make happen. So what was the first project outside of uni then? Because obviously you come out like all fresh and like, I'm going to go and change the world. What was the first sort of thing that you landed on? Well, one of the things that I landed on was helping women go back to work after life, big life changes. So maybe they experienced okay. violence or maybe they had taken time from work and were um, moms and they want to get back in the workforce. So I studied, I found this guy called Richard Bowles who wrote the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? The best selling career book of all time. And one right. of the you know highlights of my life and one of the patterns that I noticed that I use is I find an expert in a particular field and I study and I learn from them. And if I can, I work with them. So I ended right. up studying with Richard Bowles and I'm being, being on his staff team for a little bit. And you like when you're with a genius, you see how they treat other people. You see how they teach. Like there is a humility and a generosity that comes with somebody who's at the top of their game. It's like when I studied figure skating from, you call it coaching, when I was coached by Robin Wagner, who's one of the top coaches in the world, she had a little right. happy face laced into her skate laces. And oh, she was yeah. just so joyful and so generous. And she was one of the best in the world. So, uh, you know, I, some of these Well, they always say that you should surround yourself by people smarter than you if you're going to learn. Oh, like when they yeah. say if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, or <laughs> your love. job in that room is to be of service. Well, that's true. Yeah. Because you are just, you can be the most generous person in the room because you know how to help people. So anyway, meandering, you know, that taught me to work from an expert. And then when I went into marketing, I knew that I wanted to learn from Seth Godin. So I was reading his materials and then I ended up on his coaching team. So, so I, was that is that sequential? I'm trying no, to follow that. No, it's like that. don't even so bother. Can we, can we just let's follow the path from school through because it yeah. often, even as you're relating it, you'll go, "Oh my god, I forgot I did this." Oops. But so um, finished school yeah. and went and worked with the guy Richard Richard Bowles. I worked in community. Bowles. I was working as a counselor advocate and a career advisor in the public sector, and then I ended up working in the private sector. So I was working with okay. executives who, you know, manufacturing in Canada, like Australia, got offshore because they wanted, uh, you know, cheaper labor costs. Yeah. And that has, that devastated Canadian manufacturing in many areas. And so all those people needed to find new jobs. And so I worked with banks and media and insurance companies and all these, these sectors. So I, I worked across tons of sectors, helping them find either new jobs or starting new businesses. 
Nice. And oh, that, that would have been very rewarding. And, and so where did that lead you to next? Well, then, then my beloved wife ended up getting, we, we spent two months on our application for her doctorate degree here. And they right. said, oh, you'll never get in. Nobody from. So she's Canadian as well. She's Canadian. You, both, you met over there. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize that. I thought she was Australian. Yeah, no, she's a Canuck. And um, they said, nobody will ever get a scholarship. I used every little marketing trick I knew to show how this marathon runner, runner finishes what she starts, how she's cared about seniors because that's her expertise, cared about seniors her whole life. And not only does she get in, but she gets three scholarships worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And like, ta-da, Australia. Wow. Only I, right. I, only I couldn't quite, I couldn't come with her because they didn't acknowledge our marriage. So we've been married for 18 years. Uh, and so for how long? We were separated for three years. Oh my God, oh, Louise! That, that is shocking, and that's our stupid laws here. Then they've changed. So they changed, but at the time, yeah. that was that was incredibly painful because Jules, like, we sold our house, we sold everything. All of a sudden, I had no place to live. I had no partner, and I'm like, thank God I had a job. Oh, Louise! Was, what a terrible thing to have happen. So, yeah, yeah. how did that even start? So, you met her. She decided that she wanted to come to Australia, or you both had. Well, she, she decides that the next step in her career is to do her doctorate because she's been dedicated, she's dedicated her whole life to helping your parents and my parents, um, just my mom now, to live independent, active, good lives. And so she's dedicated her career to that. So she gets this opportunity to work with this amazing woman in Australia at the you know, okay. University of Queensland. And so she applies for this. Um, and you didn't you apply at the same time, or well, did no, you? Re- how, at what stage did you realize you weren't going to be able to go? Well, like uh, <laughs> the day before. <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't for a little while there because, like you know, when you've got when you come from a country like Canada, which is very inclusive. Canada is an Iroquois word that means village. Like we're like, we're kind of like village people country. Like we welcome immigrants. We like, we're not perfect, but we've got that vibe. And so it didn't yeah. occur to me. Like it didn't occur to any, any of us that, Oh, maybe they won't let you in. Like it was just like, we didn't even I'm think so, that way. Uh, oh, that must've just been so shocking. What yeah. was it? A letter, a letter or something that you oh, opened or I a phone even, call? Or- uh, it, it, I think I it was when, when Liz got there and she's like, okay, like we need Louise to come now that the house is sold. And they're like, uh, well, she could come as a part-time employee or like, so anyway, it was quite confusing. Oh, and so I was like, okay, no. but, but I'll tell you, there's a blessing. There's a, you can always find the good, right? Turns out my mom got cancer during that time. She got ovarian cancer. So there I was in Canada. Oh, so I was in the right place at with the right her. time with her. And so look, you just have to go at some point, like, you just have to surrender to what is. Uh, it wasn't pretty. It didn't bring out the best in me, but you know that's where you learn grit, right? You learn just to suck well, it up, buttercup, right. and keep going. I often say in these that that I used to say to people, so tell me about any successes or failures and what you've learned along the way. And I've realized you actually don't learn very much except how to how to celebrate from uh, successes. It's the failures that teach us every time. Oh, totally. But, or not failures, but challenges, I guess, is yeah, a better way of putting yeah. it. But tell me a little bit more about your career. I'm still interested. So, you, I mean, you suddenly said when Liz and I tried to come over here, but I don't know how that even happened. Where did you meet her? So and, I and how? Oh, sorry, love. No, no, I was just going to say, and, and so what happened, because all we've heard is Richard Ball, and then you went to another company, and then you're suddenly in Australia. Did it happen that fast? No, or? I mean, it, it, I was sort of three years in Canada, you know, doing other work and um, supporting my mom and just 
trying to figure out what we're going to do. And then Liz ends up coming back to Canada when she finishes her doctorate. And then she gets okay. a full-time job in Australia with a great organization. And because it's a different visa, I can come. So now we right. relocate to Australia. We buy but a house But the law still here. hadn't changed at that stage. The we law. still hadn't accepted gay marriage yet. No, no, you hadn't. Um, but... Because um, that was a joyful day. <laughs> well, it was a joyful day, but boy, that 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 process was painful to Torture. witness here. Uh, it was so hard on people. Um, so yeah, because she's on a different so, visa, I, I could come. They acknowledged, right. even though the country didn't acknowledge equal marriage, they did acknowledge our marriage certificate. And um, so, oh, well, you know, good. interesting, like some departments acknowledged and some didn't. So we were able to be together in the same country. <laughs> Which is fantastic, but I still don't. You you said that you worked in marketing, but you haven't told me anything about where you worked or what you did. Oh, so, well, so no, I just, how did all of that kind of unroll yeah. before you even came here? Yeah, well, I did a branding here. I mean, I did a little bit in Canada, but what happened is because I've been positioning executives to take the next step in their career, that the the language of career management and marketing are complete parallel. So if you're selling oh, yourself, okay. you need to know your values, your interests, your personality, your best environment, your style. Well, it turns out that a brand has a personality, a brand has a, a sector interest, a brand has a style, a brand has values. So you know, I just took all the deep learning that I had done in one sector. And then because I read so much marketing, I was like, okay, I know how to build a brand. I know how to launch a brand. I know how to, you know, I, I know how to do that stuff. So I did some of that, but I knew I needed to find my sweet spot. And that was naming. Right. And so how long ago did you come to Australia? Eight years, eight years and uh, seven months. Right. Okay. So what happened when you landed? Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what it's like when you don't know anyone. And thank goodness you had a wife here. But also I I had always thought she was Australian. So, um, you know, there's a double challenge there other than I know it's very bonding to move to a new country with two of you. Yes. You <laughs> it's know, the I, two of you against the world you know, a bit. It is. I mean, at first I was quite, um, and I have to say I was a bit like, I didn't realize it, but I probably got a bit depressed because I had been in one city for 20 years and Jules, I could call up just about anybody and say, hey, I want to do this project. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, yes, Louise, I'm in. Because I, I had I had collateral and people had trusted me. So it was really easy for me to give me one degree of separation from, hey, I want to do this park upgrade or, hey, let's have a conference for women. And, you know, bang. Here, I was like, I didn't even know who to call. And, I, and also <laughs> when I tried to make things happen, I was like, oh my gosh, I have no network. And so my friend, Mark LeBlanc from, from the United States, the former president of the National... His name wasn't Matt LeBlanc then, no, was it? Or did no. you say Mark? Yeah, Mark <laughs> I LeBlanc. I got a little bit excited for a minute there. Yeah. And he was like, you need to meet 100 people right away. And I was like, wow, okay. Good advice. Yeah. And um, he, starts, he, started, he said, start doing workshops for free. So I led these workshops on branding for free. Right. And uh, it was a three-hour workshop every Friday, once a month. And all of my business at the beginning came from referrals from that circle of people. From those people. Yeah. yeah. And I just That's had to great advice for anyone else who goes, I don't have any networks and I don't know what to do because that is exactly what you do. Yeah. You just, you just hustle there. your bustle. So, so meanwhile, so Liz has got her job and she's happy. You are finding your way in and thinking, okay, naming's my thing. So did you pick up naming jobs straight away or how no, did you start I started to in do branding. that? I started just in branding and had naming as part of it. 
And um, then I met a beautiful woman named Cara Richards, uh, Richardson, yeah. who runs an agency that I renamed called um, the Tuck Shop Agency because her oh, main great. area is food. And she uh, got me some naming gigs. And I met another woman who you're going to have or you've had in your show, Christina Gardalakis. Oh, Jerichite, Jerichite, yes. yes. So she's. Did you meet her? She's, yes, she's. So, yes, I've, so had a, I've done a TV interview with her. She's lovely. So she invited me up to her Rippler program, and I was helping with some entrepreneurs there. And um, she just introduced me to some more people. So my book came out. I met the Newcastle Writers Community, and I spoke there. And like these these people, these women and men too, but these particular two women have been so kind. And you, Jules too, you what you do with your lunches and all the ways you support women. They've been incredibly supportive in terms of when I first started doing my naming book, Cara was like, it's really good. This is before it had won <laughs> any awards, right? Right. And I was like, is it? Like, I think you know, as an entrepreneur, you go through this journey of like, I got this. What the hell am I doing? I got this. Yeah, yeah. Well, what the hell am course, I doing? We're, we're humans. We need that kind of reassurance of support that yep, you are, you know, somebody to say that because you get an awful lot of people going, no, 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 no. I don't think you should be doing that. <laughs> well, and that's what happened here. Some guys were like, oh, so you do naming and what else? And like, yeah, you know, now I'm naming companies, multinational companies. Um, in different countries and you know it is a niche it is um it is a thing like you you're about- but, but i mean uh, yes I, I you know i teach pr and i say to everyone niche down and they go oh my god you know but i'm gonna lose all these customers and i'm like everybody will see you as a specialist and it's yeah. a specialist that you go to and pay more money for yeah. than a generalist that's it that's it wise 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 advice jules so um so, so tell me a little bit about the naming business and what you've been doing, and then we'll move into, um, you know, some of the other people that might have helped you along the way and your pivotal moments. But, but so wh- where do you work out of now? You're working as a freelancer with, with agencies, so anyone can use you? Yeah, I, but I don't actually do that much work with agencies. I was about a year ago doing more work with agencies, but now people are coming to me direct, which is wonderful. Fantastic. I know, it's great. Yeah. And I love working with agencies too, depending on the agencies, because some treat you, you know, well, and they respect your expertise. And for others, you're just like, just another, you know, uh, but, no one is as important as, as them in some yeah, agencies. And, and anyway, you know, that's fine. That's their model. But I will tell you this, because I think you're going to be talking to her soon, Tina and Michael Elias, um, right. Elias, I don't know how they pronounce her last name. I'm blowing two last names today. Anyway, they are the founders of Manregs, which was a sock subscription company, and they went into underwear, and they were a full cycle business. In other words, your socks wore out, they would collect them and upcycle them. And so I facilitated their naming process. And I'm, so I have a Q12 system that that people go through and I teach people that you want to name, how you want to name to feel because it's often we decide if we like it or don't like it, but that's not how the brain works. I can talk about that if you want. But anyway, I facilitated their naming process and their company just launched on the 14th and it's apparel, U-P-P-A-R-E-L, apparel, because they're upcycling all these clothes and they've saved a million from landfill. So when I get to use my naming talents to help an Australian startup like that, to get the attention they deserve, it just makes me happy. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So what about along the way? And it sounds like there have been women that have helped you along the way, but because this is a podcast for women in business and hardly anyone gives shout outs to women, I don't think anyway, 
So are there any women that have helped you along the way, you know, in a key way? And if so, how did they help you? Well, again, Cara Richardson was the agency CEO who partnered with me. And because she's, and I wonder if women are better at this, that that they're more comfortable bringing in another expert. They don't feel that sort of like competition thing. They are more naturally collaborative because the way we've been raised. Um, Hard to know. I, 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 I used to have that attitude and now I've done enough of these interviews and gone, I don't think all women are like that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think there's yeah, just I, types. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right. But that was her style. And so yeah. we were able to collaborate. And that was great. Uh, there was a real appreciation for each other's talents and a real understanding that, that we really were better together. And uh, she gave me the gigs and the exposure to... Um, and the introductions, like she introduced me to um, John Manifest, who runs um, a food broker. And so okay. when I talked to him, he was like, we've got this bottle. Let's pretend this is a bottle. We've got this brand. It's a probiotic kombucha and they can't get into uh, Woolies and they can't get into the Caltex and they can't get into the Gloria Jeans. They can't get on the shelf. What would you call them? And so I'd use my naming process and I called them belly up. Because it boosts your gut health. So it was Cara who introduced me to James. So it's this this generosity, like real leaders are generous. Yeah. No, I think that that is very, very true. Now, along the way, you've probably had some ups and downs because I find it, I would say I've never actually heard of anyone where there haven't been any downs. So can you talk to me about some of the challenges that you've had along the way and what you've learned? Yeah, I will say that this recent COVID time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, look, I'm not on JobKeeper because I'm my I'm, my my business is ticking along and I'm I'm making you know money. Yeah. So I'm I'm very incredibly grateful for that. But once again, Liz and I are separate because her head office is in Queensland, and she went up there because she had an apartment up there, and she went up there, oh, and then the no. borders closed, and we're like. Okay, we're apart again. And we know how to do this. But I will tell you, being apart again and having this five-kilometer radius, what I realized is uh, it's time for grit. And I had to get a little habit tracker and print a habit tracker and go, did I drink enough water? What's a ha- what's, hang on, what's a habit tracker? A habit. Sorry, my man-made Oh, habit. No, no, that's right. No, no, hard. I just didn't catch it. <laughs> no, so what it is, it's like it's a, um, you know, it's a grid – and you put your days across, you put your days down yeah, the side. And yeah, then, you put your habits across here and your days across here. And you're like, okay, October 19th, did I drink water? Did I do a meditation? Did I walk? Did I read something? Um, have I reached out to somebody? And, and I walk with this friend of mine each day. He's a senior. And so we, we go for a walk every day. It's like, I just really had to go to the, the basics and the habits. But I would yeah. say in terms of the, the journey, there is a moment where there's two voices, the voice of self-sufficiency and the self-critic. And so I really had to get learn to get to, to notice, okay, what voice am, is, is talking to me right now? And is that the voice I want to be listening to? Because if it starts talking like, you can't do this, it's like, thanks. Who do you think you are? That's the one that mine sometimes are. Who in heaven's name do you think you are that you are even thinking of doing this? Yeah, well, you know, like, you know, like um, Seth Godin, who who has been a mentor and uh, uh, is becoming a friend, and I just admire him so much. He's like, you need to charge more for your book, and you need to do this, like, okay. I mean, those, those moments are kind of scary because the book yeah. – 
you know, anyway, there's just, just different moments where you have to go, okay, voice of self-sufficiency or the voice of the self-critic, who am I listening to? And how can I strengthen the voice of belief and um, acknowledge and just park the voice of disbelief? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because because I think um, we all have those wobbles. We have them all the time. And COVID has been the gift that keeps on giving in terms of wobbles. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been so challenging for so many people. Yeah. And it's all well and good to say you're earning money. But that doesn't actually make anything much, much better. I mean, obviously, it does relieve the financial stress, but there's plenty of other stresses. And being um, separated from your partner is shocking. I, there's a woman I'm interviewing next week, and she sent her sons from New York to England to go to boarding school, and the, the borders shut about a week later. So she hasn't seen her sons for seven months. Oh, so there's man. all sorts of people that have been split up from this that's uh, made it very challenging. But I think it was I think it was Wendy Hargreaves that said to me, you know what, Jules, in the end you've got to hit rock, rock bottom to be able to push off. And for some people you can't help them until they've hit rock bottom. And I just thought that was the best analogy I'd heard, that really in a swimming pool if you go to the, you have to go to the bottom. If you just try and do it halfway up, you don't get anywhere. You need that big push from, you know, hitting the bottom. Well, okay, I wanted so, to, can I just shout out to another yeah, woman course, who's been amazing? So there's this woman named Jackie Daly, who I met through Christina at the Newcastle Writers Festival. And she referred me a gorgeous piece of business. Uh, and I got to rename a 102-year-old a college. So oh, wow. again, and she was in marketing and she didn't have that as an expertise. So she's like, you need to talk to Louise. And uh, women who are generous enough to make referrals, I think that's just, again, it's, it's, a, it's a gift. And during COVID, I really had to, I got a little journal. I was like, okay, what am I grateful for? Who am I grateful for? And have I told those people that I'm grateful for them? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah, I think I've done more referrals. I, every, my notebook these days is just completely filled with referrals. That's it's great. Like, it's insane. It's, it's, uh, yeah, but it's challenging actually because you sort of at the time think, oh, it'll only take two minutes, but when you've got to do 20 of them every couple of days, I'm just finding it uh, does take up its time, but it's worth it. You're connecting people that hopefully can make change, which is sort of, you know, something that I feel very passionate about. Well, and that's Jules. That is what's making you famous to the family. Because people well, know that if they have a problem, you probably know who the problem solver is. And again, this is a Zig Ziglar. If you want to be a millionaire, help a million people. Like you're probably getting close to that now in terms of the well, numbers. I hope so. And then I'm, when I met uh, Lisa and Christina from um, Singularity U, they told me that their motto is to change the lives of a billion people. And I thought, I've been thinking too small. <laughs> A billion people seems like a, a, a massive kind of, you know, work kind of life lifelong goal, which is great. Okay, so um, is I, I don't know whether you've got any other particular stories you want to tell me. Otherwise, I'm going to ask, ask you about how you are juggling business and life, and what kind of whether you compartmentalize them or whether it all kind of bleeds into itself. Because I know when there's a passion there, sometimes it's very hard to sort of you know stop. Well. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Ask me the question. <laughs> okay, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I noticed when I was going out the other day on my bike and I saw a bunch of families sit in the park, I was like, oh, yeah, that's called relaxing. That's what people do. They sit in the park and they have a meal. And I haven't done that forever. And I right. really like to do that. So, um, 
I mean, that's why I've got my friend who I can walk with. But when you're yeah. when you're in a lockdown and you're not in your own country, little things help. So I call my mom, who's 81, and she really is brilliant. And we talk almost every day. Um, oh, that's good. And in terms of like parceling my work, like I'm working on my second book right now. So I work on my second book in the morning and I do my client work in the afternoon, unless they're in a different time zone, in which case I might be doing them, doing them. In the middle of the night or whatever. First, first thing in the morning or last thing at night. So my, my time is sort of chunked, but as long as I get my own writing done first thing in the morning and you know, my, my meditation, reading, walking, whatever, and drinking enough water, la la la, all those sort of like basic foundational things then I'm good. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to being able to, you know, see friends again. <laughs> yeah. In person. No, I think that's, that is the big thing. And I'm sure, cause this will take a little while before it goes out. People will be listening going, God, I'd forgotten about what it was like being locked down for seven months. <laughs> anyway, but look before, because uh, we've got a whole lot more time. So now let me just ask you of, of the, of the businesses that you've named, have you got a couple of great stories you can tell me of before and afters? Got or even one well, sort of big one. Know, the, the recent oh yeah, well there's a hmm. You yeah, would, you, would you like an Australian We've got time for stories? An Australian example or, or a global example? Both. Okay. Well, let's go with a woman because this is a woman's uh, podcast. Okay. So there's yeah, this great. woman named Rebecca in Canada on the west coast, Vancouver, and she is a just she's smart. And she's generous. And so she's created a um, app for young people who aren't sure what to do with their careers. And so you can go into the app and you can find a mentor, ask questions. And she was going to call it Becumble because you have to stumble before you find your way. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so she got my book and she, I, was, I was coaching her and her team. And she got my book and she, she did the Q12, which is all the questions. And she come up with some names. And she was so excited when she told me that name. I was like, um, <laughs> it's a bit complex. It's a bit complex and it has the wrong feel. Like it, it right. falls down. The rhythm is become bull. It just comes down. And what, what she does is she lifts people up. And so we came up with, um, and there's a couple of, again, this is a facilitated process, came up with Inkly, I-N-Q-L-I. And Inkly has just got that lift. It's got inquiry in it. Um, when she tested it with 300 young people, they reminded them of um, You Inked Me from uh, Finding Nemo. So it had this oh, joyful yeah. feeling to it. So it tested really well. She get the dot com for like 15 bucks, which is unheard of because it was a made up name. And now she's got this, this name that feels right. So um, Hagendas, Rolex, these are all made up names. And she's got a made up name that you could trademark easily that gets her story told, that bring has a feeling of delight. And so she's able to get funders much more easily. So I'm so proud of her. And Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. And yeah. I mean, Google, I, I, I remember when I was working with the naming person, hearing the word neologism about coming up with words. And I think that was when Accenture re had, had reared its head and no one had even heard of that. And then Google comes along as if we anyone knows what a Google is and off, and off it went. And I think, you know, I love new words now. I love it when people come up with either gluing words together, which my partner doesn't seem to be able to help himself, but do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even say... I think I'm going to have a bath and then a shower, and he'll go, "Oh, a bashar, or a bower, or you know, like." That's but great. You are obviously that kind of person as well. So now, tell me, is there a quirky fact that you would like to share with us that most people don't know about? Yes, 
I want to share this fact because I want people to go to YouTube and find it and share it with a young woman. Okay. I was a fairy godmother in Canada at this women's conference every year and we would collect money and then divide it like change when we had change in our purses and you know, yeah. dollar bills in our purpose. And we, we collect it up, divide it into increments of $100. And these women would go out with $100 as a fairy godmother for these different seed projects that were launched around the world. Oh, lovely. Okay. I had the, my, like, I had a dress, the color of your hair, Jules, with big <laughs> puffy, you know, arms and a bow puffy the sleeves. It, oh, it was like fabulously revolting, fabulous. Like, it, yeah, the four year old yeah. girls were like, oh, you're mad. It was, anyway. So there is on YouTube a video I made with 27 million hits. And if you look up fairy godmother pap test, you will find me uh, in a doctor's office in the midst of a pap test with my fairy wings and sparkly shoes. And so I invite women to share it to remind women, young women in particular, to get their first pap test. You guys call it a pap smear here. uh, We call it a pap test. So just to make sure all your bits are good. So I mean, fairy godmother pap Pat test. test, and you will find my video. 27 million. 27 That's not million. insignificant. I know. Well, my mother goes, it's probably on a porn site. <laughs> and she could be right. And you go, you know what? If it means that, you know, if they, if, if it'll get some of those people that watch porn sites to go and get pap smears, we're happy anyway. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Last question. Well, last couple of questions. And these are literally just because I'm obsessed with my phone. So I, it, some people are, some people aren't. And if you're not, that's absolutely fine. But if you are, what do you think are the most useful apps on your phone for business, not including banking and social media? Oh, or gosh. Email? Well, I, I would probably say the off switch. Um, oh, because, what's that? I, know, I, know. I, I try not to spend too much time on screens because my work is on screen and right. like so much of my time is on screen. So I actually purposely don't put too many apps on my phone because I because I just feel like I get caught. So I do use LinkedIn there. I don't play with my on my phone. I know that's uh, that's No, no. I would say of of the I think I've done nearly 70 interviews now and I reckon five women have told me that they're into their phones like I am. <laughs> and everybody else says, "No, no, I'm too busy and I'm always on a screen." Exactly like you. So yeah. it's much more common than you think. I, okay. I kind of now have to preface it thinking people are going to go, <laughs> "What's she talking about? Who has time to play on a phone?" <laughs> I can understand why it's relaxing. And, um, you know, I think, you know, there's podcasts I listen to and things like that. But um, look, uh, darling, you do so much work. I'm glad that you're playing on your phone. (laughs) Thank you very much. Now, Louise, if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Two ways. Wordglue.co. That's where they can find my book. And then also they can send me a message through there. So wordglue.co. LinkedIn is where I am professionally. I'm not on all the other platforms. Just again, I have to limit where I am. And on LinkedIn, my last name is K-A-R-C-H, like the month of March, Louise Karsh. And please, if you connect with me, say, I heard you on the most amazing podcast with Jules. I'd like to connect because <laughs> I don't say yes to everybody. I actually manage my, my connections. Oh, well, thank you very, very much for, for agreeing to do this interview today. And I, I don't think I had realized how recently you had come to Australia. So that's been a bit of a revelation because you and I met 
I reckon it's got to be five or six years yes. ago now, and you must have been quite new to the country. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever got up on stage and spoken to more than 20 people. I remember being terrified. No, you were and great. there was this woman in the audience just nodding her head and smiling at me, which made such a difference Aww. for me. So I thank you very, very much for that. Well, you are a gift to Australia. You are helping women be seen and heard. And, you know, you, if there was a Department of Women's um, Enterprise, <laughs> I would make you the first minister. Oh, well, thank you very, very much. Well, if I ever have anything to do with naming, I'd be straight to you as well. So um, there we go. Well, thank you very much. You're most welcome. That was great, Jules. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. She's the boss.